Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Today, we will be speaking to Ruth Hancock, CEO of Octopus Investments. Thanks so much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about things that matter in the world of financial services and financial advice. My name is Rebecca Tomes, and I'm the junior editor at IFA Magazine. And today, I'm very excited to be speaking to Ruth Hancock, CEO of Octopus Investments. Hi, Ruth. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. Good to be here. You're, you're very welcome. So let's just jump straight into it, shall we? Perfect. Great. So to kick off the episode, I thought it'd be really interesting to discuss the great wealth transfer, which obviously we know is coming in the not so distant future. How are advisors capitalising on the opportunity to advise the next generation? And what more can they do to retain assets under advice? It's a really interesting question because we all know that there's going to be this huge transfer of assets from Um, from advised clients to spouses and to the next generation. And I'd say we're seeing some really bright sparks, but they're bright sparks and not um, across the whole industry yet. So in the research we did recently, we found that generally advisors are quite pessimistic about their chance of retaining assets um, under advice when a client dies. So only 10% are very confident that this is going to happen, which is a much lower number than I expected. Um, But despite that, actually, most don't yet have a strategy in place to change that. So 59% say, I don't have a specific intergen strategy in place. And, you know, there could be several reasons for this. It could be because people are planning to retire before that great wealth transfer. I think the interesting dynamic there is that I'm seeing more and more investors into the industry actually look at whether you have an intergen strategy in place and factor that into how they're valuing the business. So I think we've reached the point where having an intergenerational strategy is um, an imperative whether or not you're planning to work for the next 30 years. Um, So what do you do about it? So some of the things that I've seen that work really well is um, kind of start at the top, start with culture, which I think is a bit of a mantra for everyone leading a business and help everyone understand why it's important. So it's important because it's a point of Um, high emotion for clients it's important because it's important for the value of your firm and if everyone in the firm really gets that you're kind of halfway there Um, there's then some really practical things you can do so start the conversation with clients earlier Um, one of the things I've seen is very simple is just in um, in a meeting get a family get someone to draw their family tree so you understand actually the dynamics within that family and it's a very sort of non-confrontational way of having that conversation where you have permission to regularly engage the family. Um, And a lot of people convince themselves that there isn't an opportunity to to advise beneficiaries because they say, well, that beneficiary may not want to invest in the same way that that the asset owner at the moment does. And I think in most cases, that's often not true. Um, So it's true they may want to do things like pay off a mortgage or, um, or use it more for cost of living expenses but actually in many cases there's still investable assets um, that are set aside so don't convince yourself that this isn't something you can do um, and then finally actually the, the best intergenerational strategies I've seen is where firms have decided to actually broaden out their service so actually go to what a beneficiary who may be in a different who will be in a different generation wants you know more zoom meetings maybe more digital services and um, maybe more lighter touch services if the level of investable assets currently are lower that's when I think you get really sophisticated. But I think there's a lot of things you can do actually before you get to that. Yeah. 
Wow, that's really, really interesting. I just going back to what you said about such a small percentage of financial advisors really lacking confidence. I did not realize it was as minimal as 10%. That is, that is really, really surprising. Yeah, it's really surprising, isn't it? Yeah, massively. Maybe give a, provide a bit more information on why you think that, that might be, that so few advisors are really confident in retaining assets. And is there anything yeah. that can be done to combat this real lack of confidence? I think there is. So I think the reasons I've heard, and we found some of these true in our research, is what people will say is, well, the beneficiary has their own financial advisor, or it's just not something they want to talk about. Um, the beneficiaries live somewhere else. I'm focused in, in this part of the country. The beneficiary is somewhere else. I don't know who they are. Now, I think if the answer is I don't know who they are, that's something that you can very easily overcome. Something like yeah. the family tree works brilliantly for that. All the clients are opposed to the idea. Now, you know, at that point, that was only 12% of people in our survey said that. Um, at that point, it, it may not be the right strategy for them. Um, so that's what you hear from advisors. Actually, again, when we were looking at the research, when you talk to beneficiaries, 67% of those inheriting a significant sum said they intend to seek financial advice. So the really fascinating thing is I think this is a gap of perception rather than a rather than a, a, a real gap. So on one side, you've got financial advisors imagining that this isn't something that would work for their clients. And then you've got beneficiaries saying, I want to seek advice. Um, and actually 75% saying they're open to using the same advisor as, as their loved one, as the person that they're, um, that they're due to inherit for. So all of this for me points towards the need for a proactive strategy. So actually some of the, um, some of the ideas we just talked about, actually it's that realizing that this is an opportunity, convincing yourself it's an opportunity and actually taking steps to do something about it. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure that many people would really appreciate having that extra support. They're about to inherit all their money. I'm sure loads of people would love to have their hand held a little bit and supported. And so it's opportunity for the advisor. And I'm sure it'll go down really well with the clients. Just from I my think perspective. It is. It's a really tough moment for people. You mm. know, you're going through an awful lot at that point. What you don't want to do is have to self-educate yourself on yeah. um, investments at the same time. Um, exactly. So it's an opportunity to have a real impact on on people's lives actually and really build a relationship at a moment of kind of high stress definitely and you you hear all the time about how advisors really become part of the family as well I hear it all the time I speak to their clients and the advisors and they say yeah we've worked with these families for years and years you know all of them and it's really yeah. lovely it's like a big family so it just yeah like you said there's a real moment there for that come together I agree yes. okay so mention, talking about the research a little bit more um, I saw that a really interesting piece of um, information that came out was that the women disproportionately said they wouldn't use the same advisor as their family because potentially they had another advisor that they would use. And I'm really intrigued to hear what you think about that. Like, is there anything that financial advisors can do to retain female clientele? And should advisors have a dedicated strategy towards women, perhaps? I agree. It's one of the stats that, again, really shocked me. So um, we found that 42% of female beneficiaries said that they had another advisor they would use um, compared with just 13% of male beneficiaries, wow. which is really surprising. Big, big difference. Um, and yet only 5% of financial advisors have a female strategy in place. Um, so again, I would I would characterize this as an opportunity rather than a problem. Um, so I think what I've seen some firms do is start with that spousal strategy. Again, it's sort of not complicated. It's, it's the same as the intergen strategy is convince yourself that there's an opportunity, convince everyone in your business that there's an opportunity and have a step-by-step -step plan to what do we think we could do for our customers who we know better than anyone else 
um, to ensure that we have a relationship with both members of that couple. Um, I think there's an additional opportunity, but it is additional um, if you're out there looking for new clients to go where women are. So I've seen some brilliant examples of um, events that are focused around things that they think will engage women. That might be everything from how to start your own business to an event about fashion, um, to an event about current affairs, but very um, focused. It might be at a, um, I saw one recently that it was at a um, female networking club. So very focused towards that demographic. And actually, if you go where those people are, um, then you're, they're way more likely to feel that you understand them. Yeah. And then I think the final thing, which is, is potentially a bit of a no brainer, is I think the more diverse a set of customers you want, the more diverse a set of advisors you need. Yeah. So it's definitely not saying that women want to be advised by women. I think that's true in some cases. I think it's not true in others. But we know that people are more likely to continue with advice if they found someone they think really understands them. And I think yeah. if you've got a more diverse set of clients, having different advisors means that people are more likely to find that connection. Um, so I think that's the real talent um, opportunity you can look at within a firm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially since we know that generally advisors are typically male, uh, potentially in their 40s, 50s. So I think getting that diverseness and it would be really, really beneficial for the whole industry, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. And actually someone was asking me the other day, well, okay, I, I, I'm committed to doing this. How do I do it? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we talked about that I think people often miss is it's partly how do I um, try and attract female advisors or planners um, into my firm. But actually what's really important often for women going for jobs is when they're interviewed by people, meeting some women as part of that process. And that's yeah. what I think people often miss in building a diverse um, a diverse culture within their firms because they don't realize that don't, people from different backgrounds from the people who maybe founded the firm want to meet other people like them during the interview process, just as a client would. Um, yeah. So I think that can work really well for talent attraction. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. So taking that a step further then, I know there's a lot of information out there saying that women are often less confident in investing than men and we see it all the time. Why do you believe this to be the case? Like, Why do you think that is? Yeah, I've seen quite a few reports on it recently. So I think the evidence mm. that that's, that's true is, um, is fairly indisputable now. I think yeah. why is a much, much tougher question. So I kind of have a, a couple of theories completely anecdotally. Um, so the first is, I think women tend not to talk to their friends about money. Um, yeah. So I think there's a barrier to opening up. And again, I've seen... Um, some brilliant examples of even groups of friends having a dinner where they say, let's all talk about our money very deliberately. And things come out like, I don't understand what my pension is. I don't know what an ISA is. Um, but just breaking that barrier of some people think the first time they sit down with an advisor, they sh should know the answers and not ask stupid questions. We yes. in, from the industry know the opposite is true in that that is your opportunity to ask to ask the questions that you might perceive to be stupid, but everyone else perceives to be totally normal. But I think yeah. if you can break that fear barrier of um, feeling like you're going to sound like you're asking stupid questions and you might want to start with your friends, have dinner. So this is about talking about our money. Um, I, I think it's a really cool idea. 
Um, yeah. And then I think the other it actually relates back to what we were just talking about, which is I think women are less likely to find a financial advisor they think understands them. Um, mm -hmm. Now, whether that's, again, a perception or a reality, um, but if you look at the findings from our research, 29% of women believe financial advice is not for them. Um, that's, you know, that's a that's a relatively significant number. I think if they met someone that they thought really understood them, um, yeah. that that number might change. So, um, so what can we do? Um, I think demystifying um, demystifying investments is one way. And I do think about this. You know, a lot of the stats say women don't invest. I think that's true, but actually, I think it's because they don't seek advice and they don't do the yeah. planning bit, which is to me the gateway. Um, so education, networking, people feeling comfortable, people feeling like they can open up. I think all those things are helpful. Um, and then actually one thing that we're doing at Octopus is um, we've got a business called Octopus Money Coach that provides um, financial coaching um, in the workplace. And actually, to me, that's a great gateway to people feeling comfortable is actually probably earlier in your career and earlier in your life, you're getting comfortable to talking about money. And then actually, when you reach the stage where your affairs are sufficiently complicated that, that you want to seek financial advice, you've broken that sort of fear barrier, for want of a better word. So starting young, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, is probably the other thing we can do. I think that is I think you're absolutely right. That's a big part of the problem. I hear a lot of times people are just simply intimidated the thought of going to an advisor and opening up about their money and yeah. like you said seeming stupid which we all know they would never be seen like that no I think that 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 perception in people's minds really is a barrier and that's a shame definitely yeah. something that financial advisors I guess have an opportunity to tackle potentially that will really help women and everyone agree just before we wrap up then we always like to finish up with the question if you had the power to change one thing in financial services today what would it be so what do you reckon? <laughs> oh, I'm going to say this from a very biased perspective, but I would <laughs> make uh, financial coaching an opportunity for everyone. I think we um, we live in a country where there is a proportion of the population that are really fortunate to get access to brilliant financial advice. But we know that that's a minority rather than a majority of the population. Yet I also believe that most people are not very self-directed. Um, when it comes to money people find it scary particularly thinking about long-term planning people sort of think oh I'll worry about that tomorrow but it's this sort of stress hanging over them um, yeah. I think mass market solutions that allow you to have a relationship with someone so replicate some of that magic of financial advice in the mass market is something I'd love to see so for me that means Octopus Money Coach being gigantic um, yeah. but I think the theory is um, I access to financial coaching in the workplace for all I think would be wonderful absolutely you can just imagine the kind of impact that would have wouldn't it if everyone was accessing okay. that IFA talk is for investment professionals only all material has been carefully checked for accuracy but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies whatever appropriate independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast and value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up you may not get back the amount you originally invested.